0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Where's This Going? I'd love to get into it, but first, I can't do it without thanking everybody at U.S. Wellness Meats. At U.S. Wellness Meats, they have grass-fed and pasture-raised meats that are loaded with good nutrition like conjugated linoleic acid, also known as CLA, omega-3 amino acids, and a host of vitamins and minerals. CLA is a cancer fighter, muscle builder, and supports immune functions among many, many other health benefits. Omega-3s, as we know, are anti-inflammatories. At U.S. Wellness Meats, they specialize in a variety of special diets and have hundreds of paleo, keto, Whole30, sugar-free, and AIP, which are autoimmune protocol-friendly foods. Enjoy gourmet dining in the comfort of your own home. Their New York strips, their T-bones, the filet mignons, their ribeyes, all grass-fed and grass-finished on sustainable family farms. Served in fine dining establishments all over the country and in homes just like yours. All natural has simply never been so delicious go to us wellness Meats online store at us and find over 400 different all-natural whole foods but wait there's a catch use a promo code it's the one that starts with p-o-d-c-a-s-t that's podcast to receive 15 percent off your next order All orders arrive within 24 to 48 hours of leaving their facilities and shipping and handling is just $9.50. Get on it right now. Ladies and gentlemen, my next guest is someone that is incredibly inspiring, incredibly tough. She is 22 and 0 as an undefeated professional boxer. She is a two-division, two-time WBC world champion. She's also two-and-two two in MMA under the Bellator promotion. She's the current WBO women's featherweight champion of the world. She's the incredibly inspiring, hardworking, tough, gritty, sweet, the great and powerful Heather the Heat Hardy. And we're live. I'm here with Heather the Heat Hardy. I'm actually, I, before we get started, I really, I told you this a little bit when I when I first texted you about it. When I first started this podcast about two and a half months ago now, you were for sure one of the main people I was hoping to get on. And I've known you for a little little while now with, uh, you've given me a few boxing <laughs> lessons. Can't say that uh, I'm too good at it. But it's been it's been a pleasure to get to know you, and I'm very I'm I'm actually very uh, honored to have you on. So oh, thank well, you for I'm being honored here.
1: to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: So, as I like to do it, as I, I said to you a couple minutes ago, if there's something that the world doesn't know about you, there's a lot about you on the internet, on social media, but if there's something that people don't know about you,
1: I was trying to think this whole time of a story. I think like I'm always like telling my friends like, hey, that's one thing nobody knows about me. So if I die, you have to tell them. So I'll tell you two things. Go. I'm really funny. <laughs> Most people don't know I'm funny, but I'm actually funny. And um, I'm always like the funniest one at all my friends. Well, maybe not the funniest, but where everyone's always laughing at me. And I have key anxiety. Like I have this thing where if I'm not holding my keys, I get worried that I lost them. So I always like to have them where I can see them. And like if I'll be out with my friends or something and like I'll get this look on my face, like, go, oh God Heather, where are your keys?
0: <laughs> well, good thing you have your keys right I, in front of you. They're
1: right here on the desk.
0: <laughs> um I I love it. Um, do you remember the first fight you got into? Um Street Fighter Other?
1: It's hard to say, you know, like where I was when I was a kid, like we would always get in little scraps and somebody's mom would come out and pull us apart or beat us up. <laughs> so I was Probably like in first or second grade.
0: Do you feel like you always had the fighter in you or was there a moment in your life kind of early on that you, like, there was this, like, switch?
1: I don't know what it's like to not know how to fight. Okay. So I suppose that's not something I could explain to you because it's like one of them things, like, it's like trying to explain to somebody how you could see, right? You just always did it.
0: Well, yeah, but at the same time, you know, you took up boxing not too long ago. Like, was it nine years now?
1: It's been nine years. Um, Boxing wasn't something that was available when I was a kid. I've always been a fighter. I've always been scrappy. I've always been real tough. You know, even even as far as, like, being on the softball field, sliding into second base on cement, wearing shorts, you know, like, I always gave everything I have. So boxing wasn't available to me outside nine years ago, but had it been when I was a kid, I could only imagine how good I'd be right now.
0: And where, speaking of like where you're at right now, how does, since you're only, I mean, you've only literally been boxing nine years, which is incredible when, when you think about it. Do you feel like you're, since you started later, do you feel like you're at like the midpoint of your career? Or do you feel like you're more on the tail end or how would you kind of gauge that?
1: Well, I'm 37. Um, I feel like I've done fought a whole bunch of girls and there's only like a handful of girls left where it makes sense for me, in boxing anyway. You know, um... So I'm not one of them fighters who plan on staying around forever. I think I have goals. I have a couple girls I have in mind. And outside of them, I move on to something else.
0: Are there a few girls that you're interested in fighting with next?
1: Well, my my number one um, is Jelena Mavenovich in Canada. She holds the WBC and WBA title. And in the beginning of January, there was talks of us doing this unification bout because I have the WBO title. And Showtime was going to cover it. She demanded money. They were going to give her money. And then it fell through. And she said, well, why don't we do the fight in Canada? And I thought, okay, well, show me the money. You know, I assumed that it would be the same kind of pay that she demanded to come to New York, that they would give me there. And they offered me one-sixth of what she was going to get to fight here in New York. And my manager said to them, you know, we're not going to even start negotiating until, you know, anything below X amount of dollars. And they said, okay. And at the time, I was being offered the Bellator fight at the garden. And They actually offered me about $5,000 less than what Bellator offered me. But when I weighed everything out, fighting at the garden, being on the zone, getting sponsorships, being home, like this is an away fight I would have to fly to. They were only putting me up for four days. You know, I had to weigh it out. And if it don't make dollars, it don't make sense. And I know she felt a type of way after I didn't take that fight. But it's like, come on. You you can't tell me I'm scared. I'm jumping in the cage. I don't even know what I'm doing. This is a business, you know? So, I felt type away after she made some comments um on the internet and to the press. So, that's one fight I can't retire till I have.
0: And do you feel like you talk about it being a business? And you've talked I mean, you're very vocal. I'd say you're one of if not the most vocal um women's fighter to talk about women's boxing and how it's incredibly unequal and the pay is horrific and and you've talked about that a lot and we'll maybe go into a little after. But do you still have some kind of pleasure to when you step into the boxing ring? Because at the same time, like I would imagine when there's so much dirty politics behind it, getting in you maybe sometimes feel like you know, why am I doing this? Why am I still here?
1: I'll be honest, after my, the last, when I had gotten the MMA cage in, in June, I was really fed up. Like, almost like, you know, like when you leave your boyfriend who cheated on you the last time, you're like, I'm done. I'm not going back. That's really how I felt about boxing. I was so disappointed. So I was tired of getting my hopes up only to be disappointed, you know, but... Something about being in a boxing ring that's home to me. I came off this MMA fight thinking like I didn't want to fight anymore. And within two sparring sessions, the guys are like, okay, she's back.
0: <laughs> and with what's also interesting is for you, and I'm kind of curious, is you go from, I mean, you've gone from boxing to Bellator to boxing again to Bellator again. And two and two in MMA, I don't think people understand how difficult it is to go from boxing to MMA but you're 22-0 and 0, undefeated as a professional boxer. Is it weird when you, you know, like in this last instance, coming off a loss, and you go back to another sport and you're like, holy shit, I'm an undefeated, I'm a world champion. Mm-hmm. Is it is there a, a mental, I mean, I don't think you lose confidence, but is there something that's, that you have to switch back on after coming off of a loss in a sport that, you know, is not what you're
1: That's a good question. Nobody ever asked me that before. And it's something that I just realized after my last fight. So when I go into the cage in MMA, it's really, it's not like I ever went into MMA and said, I'm the best at this. I'm so good at this, right? I said, I'm going to see how far my boxing can beat the girl. So every time I would go in the cage to do my sparring sessions or travel around the gyms, it was always like, My mentality was, you have to survive. Whatever this girl is going to do, because she wants to kill you, you have to survive and use your hands as much as you can. And when you switch back to a boxing ring, I wound up with that same mentality. And like after my first sparring session, I said to to Blimp, I don't know what I'm doing. I forgot what I'm doing because I would just be standing there waiting for the girl to do something. It was my second sparring session that I was like... Oh, yeah, I'm good at this. I don't have to wait for her. You know, so that's really the mental flip. And it didn't quite get out of my system yet because it was four months of being in the cage and being in these situations. But I'm confident that by my next fight, I'll be fine.
0: And talk to me a little bit about um, Blimp, who I actually... I had, a, I had a lesson with him once, too. He's, he's great. He's a character. Um, yeah. But I was watching... I think it was today or yesterday, on your website, there's the three kind of short films that are all amazing. Mm-hmm. I must say, and for Thank people you. on, it's what is it, heather-hardy.com? Yeah. To go check them out. And one of them won a bunch of awards. Mm-hmm. Really well shot. But there's also a point, I think, in I don't remember which one it was, but talks about how Blimp was kind of, he talked to to Ludabella um, to get you on a card. Is it something like that?
1: Yeah, when I had my pro debut, it was at a time where, they might have one women's fight on a show every two months, you know. And it was, Lou was one of the few people showcasing women. And Blimp's son was signed with Lou. So after the Golden Gloves, he saw my work ethic, you know, he knew what I could do. And he, Blimp came to the gym one day and said, Listen, my son is fighting. I talked to Lou. I told him you'd sell 10 grand in tickets. He said, If you could do that, I'll put you on the show. And I did it. <laughs> and um, I never forgot that.
0: And you talk about, I think, well, that moment of, I mean, if there's something that, with your boxing is is one thing. Of course, you're known for, but in the in the short time I've known you, your ability to sell tickets is phenomenal as well. But it's also, you know, it's it says a lot about how disappointing it is in boxing. Just because I think one of them, the first times when you sold that time you're talking about selling ten thousand dollars in tickets, your purse is what eight hundred dollars.
1: Yeah, for my first fight, I actually sold thirteen thousand in tickets. And I made $800 and it kind of looked like that same typical numbers for like my first almost 10 fights, 8 to 10 fights where I would make $1,200, $1,500 and sell upwards of $15,000 in tickets.
0: And there's no, does that motivate you potentially in your career after boxing to try to, would you go into maybe being a promoter or Um, for, for female fighters?
1: No, I hate the business. I hate the business, the politics of boxing they'll never change and why not because that's what they've been since day one and you have the same 10 guys who've been running boxing since mike tyson was a world champion nothing's gonna change money stays in the same hands it's a beautiful thing that women started to be able to box in the olympics because promoters started to see the value and i am sure that over the next 10 years or so as the olympics you know we have another couple of them and more, they're adding more weight classes for the girls. You're going to see more talent come out and be showcased on the cards, but it's going to be a long fight.
0: And there's also what most people don't know as well is your fight, the first Shelly Vincent fight, that was the first, women's televised boxing bout in 25 years or something
1: it was it was it was on a tape delay so they played it later on that night but nbc sports um it was the first like televised fight and it was the first time al hayman i was the first female he ever put on his shows on pbc al Heyman is very vocally anti-female fighting and that was one of his shows too
0: Why do you know why he's
1: i wish i could say but i don't know like, I've had the Barclay Center go to bat for me with, with him and say, you know, this girl sells tickets. She's good. And he just wants no part of it.
0: Did you ever have any doubts or moments where you're like, like fuck this, I'm, I'm done. Right. There How have do you keep been... the motivation when you, when you know all of this? And at the same time, you're going out performing for them. And they're getting rich kind of on your, I mean, partially on your back.
1: It sounds so cliche cliche to say it but a lot of times you think of quitting because you feel like you have so much more to go but you don't realize how far you've come and whenever I ever felt like I don't want to do this anymore I always think of how far I came from the beginning and how much much I accomplished with so many people telling me I couldn't people saying you'll never box at the Barclays Center, you'll never fight at Madison Square Garden, you'll never fight on HBO and I did all those things
0: What's it like Can you for somebody that's never gone into a fight with someone or or never into a ring. Could you talk about what goes on in your mind when you're, I think boxing and obviously boxing and MMA are two very different things, I would imagine, as the way you approach it. Boxing feels more strategic. MMA feels more like a fight. Mm -hmm. I mean, depends, I guess, on the boxing bout. But for you, what's going on in your head kind of during a boxing fight, boxing bout and and an MMA fight?
1: Sunboxing, I mean, it's it's like business as usual, you know. Excuse me. I would almost say it's like if if you are doing your job, whatever you're really passionate about, I'm sure there are parts of your job that I couldn't do or that most people couldn't do. It's, it's whatever is going through your mind is what goes through my mind. I'm not afraid of getting hit. I'm not afraid of of anything anyone's going to do in boxing because even though there are girls who are better than me, technically better than me, they're not going to surprise me. They're not going to do anything that I'm not ready for. In a cage, I'm always like, shit, what is this girl going to do? There are so many variables. There are so many takedowns. There are so many chokes. There are so many submissions. There are so many different kicks, you know. What's the one thing this girl's been practicing so hard to take me out? Knowing that all
0: I have is boxing, and after your last fight, um, do you feel any inclined to go back to MMA at all?
1: Um, I don't want to rule it out because if the opportunity is there, I mean, it's it's like it's not to say like I lost any fans, you know, everybody who is my fan, is, like, my fan. If I became a piano player, they would come watch me play piano, you know? Like, they just like me. And and it's not for, like, a try because part of the excitement with me being in MMA was, like, can she do it? Can she do it even though we know she can't do everything? So I, I wouldn't say I would rule it out. You never know. Like, if they want to send me to, Italy, you know, Ireland and go fight in, Be- in Bellator, Dublin, who's to say I would say no? I'm not really one to turn down a fight.
0: You talked about kind of having a few goals what are some of your general goals are they mostly in boxing or do you still as you said you're not going to rule out MMA do you have potential MMA goals
1: um my goal from the beginning of my fight career was to provide my daughter with a life that I didn't grow up with the life that I had to learn there was to live send her to a good school keep her in a good neighborhood have her available to do programs that you know she loves art to be able to work in the studios to, to go to a good college and to never have to worry about money or things like that, um, those are my goals. So I've, I've gotten far past my other goals. Like when I started, my goals were to make myself known, to make women's boxing known. And a large part of it was due to the Olympics. But I like to know, I think that I, I did my part and I feel really satisfied by it, what I've accomplished so far. If I had to hang up my gloves right now, I wouldn't mind.
0: How has being a mother kind of changed you as a person and as a a fighter?
1: Well, as a person, I always kind of grew up. I grew up in like a working, lower to working class neighborhood where growth isn't promoted, survival was. And I always felt myself to be really lucky because I had a vision. Like I wanted to go to college. I wanted to work in the city. I knew that the world was big, but I also realized that all the people around me only saw this small little place, people who never leave. They don't tell you to go to college. They give out city workers' exams and make you take the post office test so that you can have a pension. And when I had a daughter, I realized it was my responsibility to make sure she doesn't turn out like that. And Not to say that it's bad to be that way, but to never reach your full potential because of comfort is, I think, the saddest thing in life, I really do. So it was. It became a bigger responsibility for me to expose my daughter to so many things so that she wasn't 28 years old when she found out her passion like I was, so that she could find it at 10 and use her whole life just making it better.
0: There's also, for people that don't know your life, and one of the aspects that I've always... Actually, one of the, when I first learned about you, it was one of the aspects that I found most inspiring was... How you found boxing and i think it was the couple of years before that were kind of difficult for people that don't know will you talk to us about those few years leading up to boxing and then because i know this story about how you got into boxing but for people who don't know how then you started boxing at 28 years old
1: well i was going through a divorce mainly and uh, i was living with my sisters two of us two single moms with no child support And I was working like six jobs just to put food on the table. We had a tiny little apartment, and my sister would take care of the kids during the day so I could work. And they opened up a little karate school by my mom's house, and she got me a gift certificate. She said, I'm tired of seeing you sit around. All you do is work and and bitch. She said, you have to have a little part of life. So they were open late at night. I'll come off the trains, 8 o'clock, and I go right to training karate. Within three weeks, I had my first fight, and I won.
0: (laughs) And it was a karate fight?
1: It was a kickboxing match, yeah.
0: And then boxing, what was your first boxing lo- time just boxing?
1: Um, I, It was about probably six or seven months later. I went into Gleason's realizing I wanted to improve, that I was good at this, but I needed someone to teach me how to do it. And I went 0-2 in my first two fights in my boxing career. But I had a coach who didn't give up on me, and I believed in me. And we just kept at it. And within 18 months, I won every title you could win as an amateur.
0: What was the moment that you knew, okay, this is what I'm going to do with my life?
1: Um, it was when I won nationals. It was the first time I had ever been to Colorado. Actually, only the second time I was ever on a plane. First time I ever saw, like, real mountains and stuff. And uh, I was at the Olympic Training Center for nationals. And I beat up five girls. I was ranked number one in the country. I got a jacket and... They took pictures of me, and it was the first time even my family was like, wow, wow, you're pretty good, aren't you? And um, my coach had said at the time, you have the potential to be so good that they'll remember five names in boxing, Holly Holm, me, St. John, Leila Ali, and they'll talk about Heather Hardy. And he was right. (laughs) I believe that.
0: What about your... Your, so you said your family took him a little while to kind of realize, like, oh, she's kind of good. In the beginning, were they supportive?
1: My mom was very supportive. She would be in the front row banging on the folding chairs, all my fights. My dad, though, would always, like, you know, he's very conservative. He, he's a deacon. <laughs> Tell me, stay out of the gym, be a grown-up. You have a family to take care of. Set an example. And then when I won nationals, he finally came around.
0: And there's also one of the documentaries on your on your site where you talk about, like, days where you could barely afford to get two eggs for your daughter. Mm-hmm. And, I, I mean, I was about to cry, but <laughs> but could you talk about when that's going on and you're still, like, kind of getting into boxing, how, you know, a lot of people would probably fold. Uh-huh. How do you... Was the motivation your daughter... Or was it something else as well?
1: It was the motive. Well, of course, my daughter, because I really wanted to change her life. And I really believed that I could. I think you have to believe that you can. And there were a million days like that where I would go home and just feel like I couldn't win. You know, the the lights would go out or my daughter would. I can remember her coming downstairs. One of the days I broke down and she said, Mommy, the TV doesn't work again. But it was because the cable got shut off, you know, and um. Days I didn't feel like I could keep going, but I really believe that God puts you through the hurricane to get to the rainbow, and if you have to prove that it's you deserve it, that you want it. You have to get through all those hard days. It gets hard before it gets easy, for sure.
0: Do you remember maybe, like, the lowest day?
1: Um, one of the lowest days was that mommy, the TV got shut off again. I can remember that story about not having two eggs to crack. I remember getting home one night and, like, all of this sounds good, but try to keep in mind that I'm putting in days from 4.30 in the morning and not getting in home till 9 o'clock. And that's work combined with training, combined with work again, combined with training again. And so to still not make enough money to to get all the things done that you need to get done, working as many hours, I just needed six more days. There was... um, can remember like just the look on my sister's face saying I had to go to mommy's again for
0: for suit, you know. And what kind of you talk about doing a bunch of little jobs. What were some of the jobs that you that you were doing?
1: So uh, they were all different times. Like I can barely remember some of them. I worked in the lighting district as a secretary. I used to do internet marketing, SEO. I was doing like Google campaigns for websites um, I was teaching exercise classes like basements and church uh, church basements, every little place I could get. I was um, well volunteering for USA Boxing, setting up matches and stuff as a matchmaker. But then Bruce had hired me at one point to answer the phones in the gym. Like I had was delivering textbooks uh, for Catholic schools and public schools. <laughs> I had so many jobs. <laughs>
0: And then what was your first introduction to Gleason's?
1: Um, Well, after I left the karate school, I knew that there was only really two places, Stired City Boxing or Gleason's, and Stired City was too hard for me to get to, so I walked into Gleason's, and Bruce was sitting at the front desk, and I said, I want to be a fighter, and he brought me right to Alicia Ashley, who was a world champion, and I met her, and I said, I want to be a fighter, and she said, no, you want to be a boxer, and I'm going to show you how to do that.
0: Will you talk about the difference for someone that doesn't know what's the difference between fighting and boxing?
1: Well, fighting is is emotional. Boxing is strategic. It's like if you can watch two people boxing who know how to do it, it can be like a dance. Fighting is fight. Boxing is hit and don't get hit.
0: And which do you which do you prefer now that you've done boxing and MMA just like strip every, all the politics aside, strip the fact that you're maybe less comfortable in MMA in terms of like the feelings of getting into the ring? I love the-
1: boxing. I love boxing.
0: And do you think in your post-fight career you want to continue? I mean, you know, you give lessons, um, you, you're coaching a lot of people, and I know you, you help a lot of up-and-coming fighters. Is that something you want to continue doing?
1: Uh, my long-term goal is to open my own gym, to have my own team of fighters. I mean, I see the way boxing changes lives. And I genuinely mean that. Women who've come to me getting out of abusive relationships, women who've come to me through divorce, men who grew up feeling like they were too weak or they weren't manly enough. And like I have some of the geekiest guys who are such good fighters now. And I see it changes lives. It really does. Fitness, the community, the sport of boxing, the togetherness, the family. I want that. And I can never imagine not being that.
0: Is there one particular story that's touched you the most that you can remember?
1: Um, I have a lot. So to say that is hard. I had one girl who came to me. I'll probably cry. (laughs) She was about, I want to say, like, I might be misquoting her weight, but upwards of 250 pounds, probably 240, 250. She had just gotten out of an abusive relationship with her boyfriend. She could barely even do 10 squats, you know? And, um... The boyfriend beat her a lot. She had no self-esteem. And within, I want to say, eight or ten months, we got her down to 180 pounds. And she had her first fight. And she lost it, but she did so well. And she came to me in the locker room after. And she said, I know you don't know this, but um, the first six months I was coming here, I was in a really abusive relationship. My boyfriend was beating me. I felt like shit. But I want you to know that you will always be the one got me out of it who changed my life and that's powerful you that know that great. stuff sticks with me and i have a lot of stories from my girls like that who i can just see their change the community that they're given it's something i never don't want
0: and do you feel like since you've been you've also been really um stories like that but also you've been very vocal about a lot of other social issues um and very outspoken i mean amongst them like besides the you know the equal pay and the the treatment of women in, in boxing i mean you've touched on you know topics like sexual assault and a lot of like really serious social issues do you feel like now that you're in a position of more so celebrity or people know your name do you feel like you have a responsibility for the younger Boys and gir- girls, and boys, both.
1: I think that everyone with a microphone and an audience has a responsibility to speak up on the issues that they feel powerful about or strongly about. And one of the things about sexual assault, about poor body image, like, I, you know, I'm as a woman, there are so many things I've faced in my life where the hardest part is having to feel like a, it's my fault, and two, I'm all alone and no one understands. And when you have so many people who are writing to you saying that you inspire me, I want to be like you, people who follow my posts religiously talk to me, I feel like it is my responsibility to not just talk about the fighting and the photo shoots and the radio, but to to show them that I didn't come out of the box like this. This was a long process. I've, I've dealt with a lot of really, really hard stuff and... And work through a lot of issues and to be able to tell people, like, you can come through. It's going to be hard, but you can get out on the other side and you can succeed. Everything from sexual assault to growing up in, a you know, lower class neighborhood. I hate to say poor because we did grow up. Both my parents worked two jobs, um, but I, you know took my brother and sister back and forth to school, did their homework. Like, I don't want to say I raised them because my parents were around, but they were always working to just keep food on the table.
0: Is that what, other than your own personal motivations, do you feel like you fight for a greater purpose and that's to inspire others?
1: I do, because I, there's nothing worse than shitty people, you know? And I feel like do time that... I don't, feel, I don't think I'm a bad person. I think I have good ideas, and I think that just in the, the little conversations I have with with people, you know, that my voice can help someone. And if, if you post something silly or make a video or do an interview, and one person feels like, wow, that makes me feel better, then it's worth it, right? If it's just one person.
0: And how do you handle negativity? Because especially, I mean, I, I've seen it personally, you know, even in the last... In the last Bellator fight, I mean, you know, people wanna say, Oh, you can't you can't you're bad on the ground, you're not, you know, and they don't they don't know. They don't especially
1: Well, sometimes I will address it publicly and own see when you own yourself and you're self aware and you can own your own faults and um it makes it harder for other people to get at you. You know, I can say I'm fat and I'm ugly and I'm old. And then it really takes the value off when someone tries to say it to me, right? When you agree with it. So if I can say like, sorry guys, I know that wasn't really a technical fight, but I did my best. Most people respect that. And I find that the people that don't are really just asking for attention. Like I I take that into consideration too, that a lot of times you have people online where maybe 5% of my followers are just people who say bad things Because it makes my friends and my fans go back at them and they hope that maybe I'll say something and engage them in conversation. So a lot of times I will ignore all individual comments and maybe address some of the negativity publicly. Like... For one, I, I can remember one vacation last year I took where I was laying on the beach in a bikini taking pictures and people were just commenting on everything and how fat I was and I gained so much weight and I'm, I have wrinkles on my face and I have stretch marks and I had to put out a post and say, yes, I have all of those things, but I'm still happy, so leave me alone.
0: <laughs> I love it. Um, Do you, is there a... A fighter or a person in your career, or maybe that you that you know or don't know, that you would say, I mean, there's probably a few, but some of the the most influential people in your career?
1: Um, it's hard to say because I didn't grow up as a boxing fan. I grew up knowing how to fight, and I was like, hey, why don't you try boxing? People always say, like, what's your favorite fight? Who's your favorite fighter? It's so hard for me to say that because I got into it, by fighting, not by looking at fighting and wanting to do it. When was the Just first time you
0: watched box- a boxing bout?
1: I was probably already a national champion. I'm being serious. Like, I never watched boxing growing up. It was never on the TV. My father didn't like it, you know. Um, but I can say that the fighters around me influenced me. Like, I grew up not grew up, but came up in boxing watching Alicia Ashley and Melissa Hernandez and Belinda Laracuente, who are some of the original OG female boxing world champions. And I grew up getting, not grew up, but grew up in boxing, getting beat up by these girls and watching them box and saying, man, I hope one day I could be that good. And now I am. Now I am. Now I have sparring sessions and everyone does what they used to do with those girls, get the folding chairs and sit around the ring and everybody watches and takes video but those were the girls I looked up to
0: and you also talk about how when you were younger you had dreams of playing for the New York Yankees
1: yeah i was always a tomboy
0: <laughs> do you in another life do you think is baseball what you your your other passion or would you where do you think mm-hmm. you'd be doing if it weren't boxing at this point in your life
1: um i have my degree in forensics so i'd probably be in the fbi somewhere fighting crime traveling the world I, I, I think that my calling wasn't as a boxer, but it was an advocate for justice. I'm being serious. Like, like my boxing career really took off, not because I was this incredible fighter that people were taken back by, but because I refused to allow my, my gender to hold me back in, in a sport that I was good at.
0: And where do you see women's boxing five years down the line, ten years down the line? I mean, now there's people... I mean, you were really, at least for mine, what's sad is I think I also heard you say this in an interview recently. People, if Bud Crawford walked on the subway, mm-hmm. no one would know who he is, sure. which is crazy. He's true. Pound yeah. for yeah, It's very true. Yeah. It's, he's pound for pound maybe the best boxer in the world. Mm-hmm. Now, like, you know, people started knowing about you. Now people know Clarissa Shields and Katie Taylor. And, you know, I mean, for the mainstream, that's probably all they know. They know you, Clarissa, Katie Taylor. Where You know, that's kind of what it is. Where do you hope and where do you realistically think that five or ten years down the line, boxing goes? Women's boxing.
1: 2012 was the first year, I said this before, that the girls could box in the Olympics. And they only allowed three weight classes. So what you had in 2011 was all of this incredible talent in the USA boxing team scattering into those three weight classes. You had... 119 pounders sucking down to get to 112 you had 125s fighting at 132 you had 141s all the way jumping up some of them jumping up to 165 some of them going down so there was a scattering so where you could have had maybe 10 or 15 girls right now who you know their names because they've all represented the weight classes and maybe would win you only have three you have you know, Katie Taylor and Clarissa Shields. Over in the UK, you have Nicola Adams, who is... A, you have Marlon Esparza. There's a, quite a small handful of the Olympians that take, like, you know, the 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 public eye because they've been snatched up and signed by promoters. The more the Olympics expand the weight classes, the more talent that comes out of each grade of Olympians, the more respect you'll start having for women's boxing, the more women you'll have signed to cards and showcased. I mean... Now you, you had Katie Taylor fight Delphine Passoon. Delphine was forty-two and one. This is the first fight that anyone knew who she was because no one really cared before. So you're also gonna see great fighters coming out of the woodworks to fight these Olympians, which is gonna make for for more opportunities. Now everyone knows who Delphine is and can't wait to see her rematch against Katie. So it's just things like that.
0: It's also crazy. I mean you have, you know, you're undefeated, Claress is undefeated. And it's still, I mean, I think Clarissa, she was maybe like one of the first women to headline a card recently, I think. She's the
1: first female ever to headline a showbox, a Showtime card. She was, I think, um, one of the first females to... She's been the first to do so much. She, she's, she's like the first boxer, she's male or female. She's so yeah. young. And she's such a sweet kid. I really um, I've known her since I was in the amateurs. We were in the amateurs together. And one thing I can say is her focus is second to none. And it always was her discipline and her focus at such a young age to be a two-time Olympic gold medalist. No man's ever done that.
0: And she's a like a five-time champion now or something. Undisputed, like and
1: she's, yeah.
0: Um, but... I want to go back to something you were talking about um, with regards to to weight classes and and kind of weight cutting. Um, How different is, in your experience, a weight cut in MMA and in boxing? And do you cut the same kind of weight?
1: It's no different at all. I mean, a weight cut is a weight cut. It gets harder as you get older, and I'm learning that now. When I started my career, I used to walk around at like 120, and then it was 123, and then it was 125, and then it was... You know, like now my weight is getting up there and it's not necessarily because I'm this big, fat human, but it's because that's what happens to women. The other side of 35, especially when you have kids, is not very kind to you on weight loss. I used to be able to cut 12 pounds in a week. Now it takes me a month and a half and two sacrifices. I got to go to church. (laughs)
0: And do you agree with weight cutting? Because there's been a lot of talk that, especially in MMA in some organizations, that they're just gonna completely strip it because it's yes so no. unhealthy. I
1: mean, it is unhealthy, but you have to understand a lot of us you have fighters are split into two categories, athletes and fighters. So you have athletes who are like real like fine-tuned machines. Their whole life is what I eat, how much I sleep, how much I rest, how much I stay in recovery. I'm a fighter. I'm just trying to put money on food on the table for my kid. Still work a full time job. Try to tell me to get eight hours of sleep at night and I'll tell you, OK, who's going to come over and do homework with my kid? Get the laundry done. You know, like it's not like you can go away to a fight camp and have this nice meals made for you. It's not always like that for all of us. So some of us have to cut weight.
0: And what's your take us through uh, a boxing training camp? What's your what do your camps usually look like?
1: Well, I train with two trainers, uh, Devon Cormack, who's my main coach, and he's been my coach since my very first amateur fight, and Blimp, who is always like my boxing conditioning coach. He would do drills with me, teach me different stuff. Like, I like to have a different look. So I usually do Devon in the morning, Blimp in the afternoon. Sessions could go one to two hours, depending on. I do strength and conditioning training three to four times a week, and I run every single day about Three and a half miles. We do both bridges. Both bridges every day.
0: And then how different is it when you go transition to MMA? Now to-
1: Extremely. It's so challenging. First of all, I have to go to a different gym. And it's doing everything from kickboxing workouts, kickboxing, sparring, drilling, wrestling, and jiu-jitsu, doing cage wrestling, doing... Wrestling sparring, doing full MMA sparring, trying to get boxing sparring still in because you never know when I'm going to be back in the ring. Still doing my boxing training. It's a lot of running around. I stick with my conditioning. I still have to run. So it's it's a lot more um, traveling for me.
0: Do you have a favorite moment of probably in the ring, I'd imagine?
1: Actually, it was in the cage for my pro debut for MMA. I remember being on my knees after I knocked the girl out. I was on my knees and I I looked up and I could hear every person in Madison Square Garden saying, "Hardy, Hardy," And it was like the single most satisfying moment of my life.
0: What's it like performing at the garden?
1: Um, You know, sometimes the magnitude of it doesn't hit me until I'm walking to the cage or I'm walking to the ring. Like, I'm at the garden. I remember when I did my first fight at the Barclays, my father went up to... Get, like, a beer or something. And they have all the TVs, like, this size around the concession. And he said, I looked, and down the whole hall was your face. And I said to myself, my kid's face is on every TV at the Barclays Center. Little moments like that. You don't realize how big it is till you're there. Has
0: it has it ever, like, have you ever had that one moment where it kind of all hits you at once? Like, whoa, I'm a, I'm, I'm a world boxing champion?
1: Usually when I'm in the locker room <laughs> right before the fight. I'm like, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm doing this. What are you doing?
0: <laughs> do you have any superstitions or rituals that you do before you go out?
1: Well, I always have Girl on Fire playing. That's for sure. And, like, we've had fights where we forgot to tell the DJ, and it's just chaos. Me sending someone running around the Barclays trying to find one of the promotions to, to make sure they played the right version of my song. Um, outside of that, not really, like... Like, I just like to fuel. I hydrate with Pedialyte, same colors, orange and purple.
0: (laughs) Who tapes you up?
1: I'm Devon. And for MMA, they give you their own guys to rap because it's a different tape with different gloves.
0: And kind of talking about being a mom, how do you, you know, you're in the ring beating a girl up then you go right out and you're, I mean, I, you know, I know you, like, you're very sweet. Like, it's, Mm -hmm. how do you kind of, turn that off or channel it, or do you not really turn it off it's just
1: I don't turn it off people always are so surprised that I'm soft-spoken that I'm calm that I'm not like jumpy and agitated but it's, it's my job I don't hate these girls that I fight half the time we hug before and after we giggle at the face-offs you know this is our job we do this because we love martial arts we love the competition um, we go in there like we want to kill each other because we're both aware that the both of us have put in a full fight camp trying to win, <laughs> trying our competitive spirit.
0: We talk about, I always think it's interesting. I mean, I think you've probably had a few opponents that you maybe aren't huge fans of, mm-hmm. but, I mean, you see some MMA guys, especially, eh, boxing too, they just don't like each other. Yeah. But you always see after at the end, there's always like a sense of respect. We talk about what it's like after going maybe 10 or 12 rounds with somebody and then that You share a special moment, but I I don't know what it is because I've never experienced it, but you have. Could you kind of talk about what what that feeling is like when you've shared the ring with someone like that and you've punched them in the face for 20 minutes?
1: Well, and, you know, the best example I can give is my fight with Shelly, my first one. You know, like we had—there was tons leading up to it. She had decided that her career was going to be based on getting all her people to hate me, saying I didn't deserve it, right, to hype up this big fight. She did a great job of it because— You know, and it was genuine. She genuinely didn't like me. And that fight was an all-out war for 10 rounds. I mean, we just pounded on each other. And when you come out of 10 rounds fighting as hard as you can and standing for a decision, you know, like a piece of your soul comes out in that ring, like... You know, you're both saying, I am never going to let you beat me. I'm going to do everything I can. So, like, a couple months after, she was talking some trash online. I was like, girl, you love me. You can't even fake it no more. And we actually became pretty decent friends after, do you even ever, before our last fight.
0: Do you ever, have you hung out with any of the fighters that you fought afterwards?
1: Um, Yeah, I actually, there was a girl, forgive me if I don't remember her name, um... Renata, maybe, uh, we had had a drink after I I stopped her. And, um, you know, Noemi and I did a couple fights, and there was, like, some some time in the back room where we, you know, like, you know, hugged and respect and still kind of interact on social media because we have that social media. But outside of that, not not too much. None of my opponents are really from New York, so...
0: And we kind of also, I'm interested in your mentality and how it's, if it's changed from when you first started boxing to now.
1: Well, when I first started, I wanted to be a world champion and I wanted everyone to know who I am. And I did a pretty good job of that. (laughs) Now at this point, it's more like if I'm not making some money, I'm not getting out of bed. So I'm waiting for those offers to come in. Otherwise, I'm just not, I'm not going in and doing a tune-up fight. You know, Canelo... Released a statement today where he said, I'm a world champion. I know that I always box in May and September, but I don't have an opponent that's going to be quality. And I'm not putting on that show for my fans. And, you know, people are going crazy, but I respect that so much because I feel the same way. I'm not going to have some girl who's 10 and 10 come defend my title, sell tickets, make a little bit of money. Like, that's not what I want to do anymore. I won the world title against the number two contender. If you can't show me money, I don't need to hold on to it. I already won it. You can take it back if you want. I'm not fighting a nobody just to keep it.
0: Do you... I mean, you talked about a few fights that you could be interested before. Are there... I mean, is Katie Taylor... Would yeah, we've actually, in
1: we're like mid-negotiations for that, for me going up a couple weight classes and being one of Katie's opponents. Um, the Irish people love me, you know, and it's a really interesting dynamic because so many of them have wrote articles and said, we love Katie, but we love Heather too, so nobody loses, you know, it's going to be a great fight.
0: Do you feel your Irish heritage when you're fighting? I
1: do because it's something I'm very proud of. Like, I think everybody is kind of proud of where their family is from and the struggle that it took for our ancestors, people, you know, who came here to make this life for us and to have that platform on television where everyone sees me and everyone is, is screaming my name. I can't not pay tribute to my grandmother and how hard she fought to get us here. My grandmother used to talk about, you know, living in this small little one bedroom place with eight brothers and sisters. And her fiance and her first two kids, and she used to stand in line for cheese and milk and bread, just to feed the family. So you have to be pay respects to what your grandmother and your family is so proud of bringing you here.
0: Have you been to Ireland?
1: Never. It's my dream. So go see where grandma's from.
0: So would you? I mean, a fight there is? Oh, It would be.
1: I I would love to go home. I have a lot of fans in Ireland, so I'd love to be able to put on for the Irish.
0: Are there any other places that you want to fight at before you retire?
1: I remember when when Floyd used to fight at the MGM. I used to, like, my dream was to fight on one of his undercards, but it doesn't look like that's going to happen anymore. They're not putting, like, super exciting fights on at the MGM uh, anymore. So, you know, just being at the Garden and the Barclays, like, what more could I really ask for?
0: And I'm also curious, with regards to MMA, are you only allowed to fight under Bellator? or are you? A-
1: I'm only allowed to fight under Bellator. I I haven't contracted to them for my MMA career. Is there a
0: certain amount of fights that you are contracted to them? or Um, it's just? I think it
1: was like a length of time. It's like, don't quote me, but I think it was a length of time that I signed for. And it was kind of, it's a really interesting contract because most martial arts and combat sports don't allow you to have two contracts. Because if you get hurt, then the other one suffers. So this one was kind of set up that, okay, you know, I can't do any other MMA fights with any other corporation, but when I'm ready to do an MMA fight, I can tell Bellator and they'll put me on the show. Gotcha. So it's super flexible.
0: And, but they didn't, just because you went to your last Bellator fight, they didn't strip you of your WBO?
1: No, they couldn't.
0: So you're still the current yes, WBO. Yes,
1: I'm still the current WBO world champion.
0: What's that? When when you say that, what does that trigger?
1: Um, I, wish, I wish it triggered more, but I was never really one for trophies. For me, it was more winning the fight. You know, there was talk that I was going to get stripped and my manager went crazy. And I was just like, I don't care. If I want it, I'll just fight the girl who wins it. You know, I don't, you you can never take from me that moment of winning it on HBO and walking out of the garden with it. Outside of that, you can have the fucking thing. It don't mean shit anymore.
0: (laughs) We'll take a a quick break because we need to talk about um, one of my sponsors really quickly. Support for Where Is This Going comes from Manscaped, who is number one in men's below the belt grooming manscaped offers precision engineered tools for your family jewels manscaping accidents are finally a thing of the past that's why manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer the lawnmower 2.0 has proprietary skin safe technology so this trimmer won't nick or snag your cojones <laughs> manscaped has also the crop preserver an anti-chafing ball deodorant moisturizer moisturizer You already put deodorant on your armpits. Why are you not putting deodorant on the smelliest part of your body? And please, please do not use the same trimmer on your face that you are using on your balls. That's just absolutely disgusting. They also have the Perfect Package 2.0 that comes with about every tool and necessary cream or lotion to accommodate all of your needs. It also comes with a lovely leather travel bag as a complimentary gift when you buy it today and also want to give them a big shout out and thank you as they sent me this incredibly comfortable manscaped underwear that I would highly recommend getting that you can directly find on their website they're called the manscaped boxers and they use breathable smart band technology that features super elasticity and a wide no roll waistband for maximum support get 20% off and free shipping with the code WTG at manscaped.com always use the right tools for the job Get 20% off, as I mentioned. That code is WTG and you can use that directly on manscaped.com for everything on the website. So before I I leave you, in a few minutes, I'm interested in... You've already done a lot, especially in the last decade. What do you hope to do in the next decade
1: um, I think the next part of my life, I'd like to open up my own gym and dedicate that to working with young people, charity. You know, I love Gleason's has Give a Kid a Dream. It's a boxing charity. We Take inner city kids off the street. And I've seen it change lives. Kids who are in the system are now accountants and graduated college. And I've seen them go to the Golden Gloves. You know, kids who call me mom, who grew up like my babies are now pros. You know, I love that idea I love to be able to give back and just have a community of people who can use boxing to to bring out the, the their better selves.
0: And when people will remember Heather Hardy, what do you want them to be thinking about?
1: How tough I am and how easy it is to be tough. You just got to do it.
0: <laughs> Heather, thank you so much for being here. As I said in the beginning, you're you're an inspiration for for all of us, boys and girls, and um, and I'm very honored to have you on oh, the show.
1: Well, thank you for having me. This is fun.